You're listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead the Bible study groups using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for this week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCrary, your host, and also the leader for the Adult Explore the Bible team. Today, I'm being joined once again by Mike Livingston, who's a content editor on the team, and we're going to be looking at session seven for the fall 2020 study of Isaiah. Mike, thank you for being with us again today. I think you were with us uh, during session three. Yeah, it was three. So we're glad, glad you're with here. us. Glad, glad you're here. Today, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 37, verses 14 through 20, and then verses 30 through 35. Just a quick note about some background. One of the key people involved in this is Sennacherib. Sennacherib is an Assyrian king, and he's been taunting God, and those taunts lead up to this response by Hezekiah. Uh, two things that may help you gain some insight into the background, uh, there's a pack item in the leader pack, pack item 10, which lists the kings that Isaiah related to, and Hezekiah being the, the last one of those kings, and there's information about him and this uh, incident with Sennacherib. You also may find on pack item 12, which is entitled Judah's Neighbors, some more information about Assyria and some of the things that you would, you know, just a quick synopsis of who they were and what was going on and where they were. They were north of Judah and Israel during this time. Let me just walk through these verses, give you an outline and a quick summary of these verses. And we'll come back and, and look at some of some questions we may have from this. If that's all right with you, Mike. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. First of all, uh, set, uh, section one in our outline is called the request. And this is verses 14 through 20 of Isaiah 37. In, in this passage, this section, uh, Hezekiah has received an ultimatum from Sennacherib. So he approaches God in prayer. Hezekiah recognizes that God is sovereign over all and ask God to defend Jerusalem as a demonstration that he alone is God. He then asked for a sign, or God responds, excuse me, by giving him a sign. This is in verses 30 through 32. God responded to Hezekiah's prayer through Isaiah, declaring that crops would produce in Judah after two years. Hezekiah would be called upon to trust God as the two years passed, and that's the sign. The last section we skip down to verses 33 through 35. And in that section, we've entitled it the answer. In these verses, God promised to defend Jerusalem without a single arrow being shot against the city. Sennacherib and his army would return home empty handed and God would be honored. So that that's a quick look at the, the passage, the request, the sign and the answer verses 34 through 20, then 30 through 32 and 33 through 35. One thing here we have to think about here is how do we account for times our prayers go unanswered? Well, yeah, do do the prayers of God's people ever go unanswered? Um, I, you know, I, I believe that God always hears and answers the prayers of his people, always. But but there are four things um, that I would that I would say to clear to um, qualify that. Four things. One is that no is an answer. Right. You know, we, yeah. sometimes we ask for the wrong things. I mean, we do. You know, James talked about that. James 4, 3, you ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives to spend it on your own pleasures. So sometimes we ask for the wrong things and with the wrong motives. Not all prayer prayers please God. 
Some of our prayers are self-centered. They're not God-centered. They're not kingdom-centered. And we ought to be glad that God doesn't always give us what we ask for. And, and just, you know, be thankful that no, no is an answer to prayer. Uh, wait is an answer to prayer. And, and sometimes wait seems like unanswered or, or a delay in an answer seems like an, uh, you know, the, an unanswered prayer. When God is not saying no, he's, he's just saying not yet. Uh, Yeah, I I think of, uh, when I say that, I think of when Mary and Martha sent for Jesus to come to when Lazarus became sick, you know, and Jesus did not come immediately. He waited two days. And you can imagine the questions in the minds of Mary and Martha during those two days. But there was a purpose in Jesus's delay. He had something in mind uh, for Mary and Martha that Mary and Martha could not have imagined. Uh, So God always hears and answers the prayers of his people. But he does it according to his purpose, and he does it on his timetable, not, not on ours. Um, so no is an answer, wait is an answer. But then sometimes we don't recognize God's answer because it's not the answer we're looking for. Um, I was just, I was reading um, in, in the prophet Habakkuk just yesterday, and you know how Habakkuk didn't understand why God wasn't answering his prayer, or at least in the ways that Habakkuk thought God should answer his prayer. And, and so in his day, you know, there's this thing is sin and evil and rampant was rampant in Judah and into Habakkuk is saying, God's not doing anything. God's doing nothing about this. But what Habakkuk couldn't see was that God was working the whole time, but he was working and he was going to work in ways the prophet couldn't have imagined. And he, and God said to Habakkuk that he was going to raise up the Babylonians to punish his people. And that's not at all how Habakkuk anticipated God to work or even wanted God to answer his prayer. But a life of faith doesn't depend on God answering our prayers the way, you know, the way that we want or in a particular way. So sometimes my point is sometimes we don't recognize the answers because they're not the answers we're, we're looking for or, or expecting. Uh, and then the, I said four things. The fourth thing then is sometimes the answer is not a yes or a no or a wait answer. The answer is a person. The answer is God himself. And, you know, I think of Job. God never gave Job an explanation. Jo- Job never got an answer why these, these things happened to him. But in the end, God spoke to Job. Not, and not, it was not to give explanations, but to reveal his greatness. And so there are times when explanations are not what we need, but what we need is a revelation or a, a new understanding a renewed vision of who god is and that that sometimes is the answer that we need from him yeah i've, I've been doing some study on joe job myself recently and have come to understand and deeply appreciate job in a different way in the sense mm-hmm. that that uh, the focus there is more on will you trust me no matter what as opposed yeah. to here's how you deal with difficult or tragedy but yeah. Uh, you just got to trust me. It doesn't, it, whatever else is going on doesn't matter. So let me give those four things again. No is an answer. Wait is an answer. Uh, an answer other than the one we asked for is an answer. And then the person, God himself could be the answer. Yeah. He, he is the answer. Yeah. yeah. That's it. How does a person's understanding of God impact how they may pray then? Hmm. Yeah, this, this, this would be a good discussion in our Bible study groups. You know, how, how would an inadequate view of God affect how we pray? And it may be 
an inadequate view of God would be the reason our prayers seem to go unanswered, or may, that might be the reason we don't even pray or pray as we ought to because with uh, an inadequate understanding of God. You ever, have you ever put money in a vending machine and you push a button and nothing happens? I mean, you know, I, you can see that you can see it get hung and you're just thinking, yeah, you oh. see, you see that the you know, little thing start to turn in something's happening, but then it gets stuck, you know, and how frustrating that is. You're, if that happens to you, you put money in the machine, you lose your money. You're probably not going to keep putting your money in that machine over and over. I mean, you'll do it once. Maybe you'll do it twice. I have to confess I've done it twice, but I've never <laughs> done it a third time. Okay? I've never done it three times. Sometimes we treat God like that, like he's our personal vending machine. And, and, and we think we know what we really need. And, and when he doesn't give us what we think we need, we, we get angry, bitter. We question his goodness. We may, we may just stop praying altogether. Thinking of some parables that Jesus used to talk about prayer, to teach us about prayer. In Luke 11, in, in responding to the disciples' request for Jesus to teach them to pray, Jesus told the story about the friend at midnight who said, you know, when the friend came to him, knocked on his door at midnight, said, leave me alone, leave me alone, go away, leave me alone. But eventually he got up and gave his friend what his friend was asking for. And the point of the parable there is to make a contrast. It's not that God is that reluctant neighbor, but he's the point of the parable was if, if the friend could be persuaded to get out of bed in the middle of the night, how much more then will God respond to our prayers for God is always ready to give or the parable in Luke 18 about the unjust judge who was unwilling to respond to the widow's request. And the point of that parable was God's not like that reluctant judge. God eagerly responds to our request. So how we understand God, how we view God really does impact how we pray. So we come to Hezekiah's prayer. Hezekiah's prayer here in Isaiah 37, starting in verse, uh, verse 16, we look at how he began his prayer. Lord of armies, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you made the heavens and the earth. You know, just look at how he addresses God, Lord of armies, or Lord Almighty, Lord of hosts. He, Hezekiah knew that he couldn't stand against the army of Assyria, but God could or God of Israel, Hezekiah prayed, stressing God's grace and establishing a relationship with his people. This relationship was by God's choice, not because of any inherent value in the people of Judah themselves. He said, God, you are enthroned above the cherubim. This refers to the statues of two cherubim whose wings covered the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. The Ark represented God's earthly throne. So Hezekiah was recognizing God was on his throne and hearing his prayer, you made the heavens and the earth, Hezekiah prayed. As creator, God alone is sovereign over all kings and nations, and he can do with him whatever he pleases. So with this lofty understanding of God and who God is, it's not surprising. Prayer was Hezekiah's first choice and not his last resort. He, he definitely demonstrates an understanding of God being sovereign, being in control, and being capable uh, of, of taking care of him in that, that prayer. Yeah, he did. Here's a question that, that kind of comes out of that. How does the prayer by Hezekiah here compare to the prayer offered by Jesus in Matthew 6? Hmm. Both of these 
both the prayers um, really say something to us about how we approach God, what we pray for, even why we pray. Both of those prayers, Hezekiah's and the model prayer in Matthew 6, both, both begin in a similar way. Not, with not asking God for something, they, they both start with God. You know, the content of both prayers are based on who God is. They both start with this attitude of reverence and recognizing God for who he is. Our Father in heaven. Or in Isaiah 37, 16, Lord of armies, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim. So they both start with recognizing God and, and, and bowing before his reverence and his, his greatness, his sovereignty. Another another similarity is the motive of, of the prayers and what what the prayers are uh, asking for really and they're both they're both motivated by God's glory it's, it, it's, it, they're not prayers just you know prayed to to get something from God or you're trying to bend God's will look how Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6 8 your name be honored as holy your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and, and, and like, likewise, Hezekiah's prayer was that God would be glorified. He, he prayed in verse 17, hear, all, hear the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Hezekiah was appalled that Sennacherib was mocking God. And so he prayed, verse 20, Lord our God, save us so that... Here's, here's the reason Hezekiah prayed, save us, so that all the kings, kingdoms on the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. Hezekiah was saying if Sennacherib won, then God's reputation would be damaged. And so in his prayer, is, is, his prayer was, it's not about us, God, it's about you. It's about your glory. It's about your honor. Hezekiah wanted God to show the world who he was. That's why Hezekiah was praying. And, and then um, a third thing is Hezekiah didn't hesitate to bring his petitions and his needs to the Lord. He, he, did, he did pray, Lord, our God, save us. Save us. And Jesus taught us to bring our needs, our petitions to God. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive our debts. Do not bring us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. So the main, the main point here is that um, Hezekiah's prayer teaches us about priorities and motives when praying to God. And those priorities and motives are the same as what's expressed in the model prayer that Jesus uh, gave us. So we need to be praying about things that will bring glory to God. We, we, we learn that in both of those prayers. We see consistency in scripture in that way too. It's, yes. it's not a unique thing in the sense that what Christ is talking about, because we see it in other places in scripture. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, one question that I put on the table here, how does the time period of crops coming in three years uh, point to the need for faith or trust in Hezekiah for by, or by Hezekiah? Yeah. Okay. So Hezekiah's prayer is recorded in uh, verses 14 to 20 of Isaiah 37. So he's praying that God would act in response to um, this threat against Judah, for God to act and defend Jerusalem. And then God's answer to that prayer starts in verse 21. God promises, uh, assures Hezekiah that he would defend Jerusalem against the Assyrians. So 
he gives Hezekiah a sign. In verse 30, here's the sign. This year you will eat what grows on its own. In the second year, what grows from that? But in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. So a little background here. Uh, ancient warf In ancient warfare, it was a common practice for an invading army to just come in and destroy the crops, destroy the fields. Um, they, what they didn't, what the invading army didn't destroy, uh, they would take uh, and use to feed their their own army. Um, so they left just total destruction. Um, you didn't you didn't have refrigeration and those type no, of things that we do no. today. So you had to grow it and eat it in, yeah. in that way. Yeah. So you you look at what God is saying here that well in the third year you're going to be sowing and reaping, planting vineyards, and what he's saying is by the third year, any all evidence, all the evidence of the presence of the Assyrian army is going to be gone. Everything, you know, all the, all the agricultural patterns of sowing and harvesting, all of that's going to be back to normal in the third year. So God is asking Hezekiah, or, or Hezekiah is, is going to have to trust God as those two years passed. Um, Trust God that he's, he, yeah, he is going to keep his promise because he's not going to see the fulfillment of that promise until the third year. So that was a, a call to, to trust God, even when you, you don't see the, the fulfillment of the promise or the complete answer to your prayer. You trust God because God, God has assured you that it's coming and, and he's, he's trustworthy. So I think this challenges us. I think this whole lesson challenges us to trust God, no matter how long we have to wait and to see the answer. Any other insights, key thoughts that you would share from this study of Isaiah 37? I don't think so. It's just, there's a lot of good, um, a good, a lot of good practical application in this lesson. And I'm looking forward to teaching this. Well, we want to thank you all for listening today. Mike, thank you for being with us as well. Uh, if you have comments or questions, you're welcome to send me an email at dwayne.mccrary at lifeway.com. That is D-W-A-Y-N-E dot M-C-C-R-A-R-Y at lifeway.com. And I'll do my best to answer your question. Or if I don't know the answer, I'll find the person who does know the answer and put you in contact with them. Join us next week as we look at session eight. We'll be looking at Isaiah 40 verses 18 through 31 and around the theme that God renews.